Hello, ladies. How are y'all tonight? Well, let me just say, if you have not felt the spirit of the Lord in this house, I need to call an EMT right now because we need to check you for a pulse. That's all I've got to say about that. That was absolutely amazing, amazing worship. You know, one of the most beautiful things that um, the Lord has used in my life is worship music. Um, I always joke that um, music, worship music is my love language with the Lord. He has spoken to me so many times through so many different songs and different seasons. It's almost like somebody took my journal and gave them to the author that penned that, the songwriter, to pen that song. And it was like, you know, again, the scripture says that he sings, right, a song over us. And so I'm going to tell you tonight, I already feel like I have been in the very presence of the Lord. And I feel like he is going to meet us here. He is already here. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that when we empty ourselves of ourselves and allow him to fill us, it's moments like that that he can speak through us and to us in a way that there is no way that we can create it, design it, make it happen. It's a real encounter with a real God. And that's what I hope tonight, that you will sense his presence and that the words that come out of my mouth will go to your very need all across this room. Well, I guess y'all have figured out I'm Dawn Mason. I was so excited over that praise and worship. I did not say that, but I'm Dawn Mason. I'm Michael's wife. I know that most of you have been here um, since the start of this refresh um, revival um, on Sunday morning. And it is just a pure pleasure and joy and an honor to be in this room with you tonight. Um, I want you to know that I actually fell in love with y'all before I ever stepped foot on this campus. Um, I, and when Michael told me that um, Brother Tim had called and asked about booking this revival and asked if I could speak to the women, I immediately went to the website. I like to go with social media or the website just to get to know and connect with the people that we may be speaking to and begin to pray for you. And um, I went onto the website and was immediately impressed because, of course, there's the praise and worship team, one of the first pictures that come up. And I just saw, again, just the Spirit of the Lord, just through pictures, it was already painting a story to my heart of who y'all are. It was a reflection of what I felt like was going on in this house. Um, and I went up to the About tab, and all of a sudden I pulled down and I saw this one tab that caught my eye. And when I saw it, it said Stories. And I clicked on that tab, and I challenge you, if you haven't been on your own website or if you're a visitor here tonight, go on to the website pull down the about tab and go to the stories. It was this beautiful story of so many of you probably that are in this room of what you had walked through that was real, that was painful, that was filled with grief, heartache and loss. But then you started talking about your Jesus, talking about my Jesus, what he had done in your life. And instantly I thought, they have a pastor that trusts them to share their hurt and their pain on their website to make sure that real people that are going through real life and real hard times will know that Jesus is enough and that the people that are in this house love him and want to share him with others. I'm telling you, there is some power in that. One of the things I want to speak to you tonight and one of the reasons that that spoke to me so so powerfully whenever I clicked onto that tab was that I'm not a preacher. I'm not, I don't even think of myself necessarily as a teacher. 
Michael's the one that's called to minister and to pastor. What God has called me is to share my story. I can sit here and I can tell you how the stories in these scriptures have impacted my life, that are still impacting my life, how the stories that the Lord chose to be penned onto these pages have changed me, have shown me hope, have shown me there's a way, the truth and the life, and his name is Jesus. It has shown me over and over again through the stories that he shares in these pages. But what I love the most about the Lord is that he doesn't stop here in this book. That we today, our lives, were created and designed by the sovereign Lord that created theirs. And he designed us for a purpose. We have a plan that God designed us for. And as I've walked out through my journey, and I'm going to share a lot of that with you tonight, it blew me away that the God of the universe didn't just create me to do and to be, it was actually to spill out and pour myself out in honor and glory of him. You know, that's, that's a hard thing to comprehend unless you start walking through some dark seasons and you realize that you have nothing without him. What I have found is that God doesn't waste anything. I was born um, in the Decatur, Alabama area is where I'm from. I'm from North Alabama, and I was raised in a church family that we went every time the doors open. My daddy was a Sunday school teacher. My mama kept the nursery, rocked the babies, did all of those things, took us in church. And at eight years old, I accepted Christ as my savior. It was when I was 12 that there is this pivotal moment in my life where I can look back and I can see a huge change that took place. And it was, I was 11 years old and my parents told us that they were divorcing. My dad was leaving for someone else, and it shattered my life. It really did. Everything that I thought was real in my home was never the same again. I was almost 12 when this happened, and I was about to enter into middle school, and um, I was angry. I was hurt. I was broken. And I know that there's times when I reacted out of that anger and that hurt that I thought I would punish my dad for walking out. I couldn't believe that he would do that. And all of a sudden, I found myself out of the will of God, choosing things of this life that I thought would fill my pain and my hurt and my voids. But as we all know in this room, there is nothing that this world offers that will ever fill our hurt or our pain. The only one designed to do that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I went through my high school years, and I was, I was lost. I'm telling you, I was not lost as my salvation, but I was lost in the way that I was living. I, I don't know for you what that has looked like and what your journey has looked like, but it is amazing to me, as I know Michael even spoke to the men last night, is that there can be that one thing that happens in our life that all of a sudden we realize we take a shift. We take one little step in the wrong direction, and all of a sudden we've stepped out into somewhere we never thought we would be. Raised in a good home, I knew better. I knew truth. It had been spoken into me. It had been taught to me. I knew it. But all of a sudden, the lie of the enemy was louder than the voice I was allowing in of truth. And I wound up being and making decisions that I'm telling you, um, was wearing a lot of shame in those days. I dealt with a lot of depression you know, I was the girl that was written about on the bathroom wall. You know, I knew something inside of me that's not who I was, but my circumstances and my choices did not reflect that. 
it would be through um, a lot of trials and a lot of brokenness that I realized something over and over and over again. Something that I have never regretted is that whenever we choose Christ, when we cry out to his name, that there is never a moment that he's not right there ready to rescue us. You know, it's that thing that we realize that um, when we choose him as our savior, again, that's another uh, mark on our timeline. It is a pivotal moment that forever changes us. And what I love about that one is there's nothing that can erase that, is that once we accept him as our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, there is nothing that can separate us, right? We have the scripture to back that up and prove it. We have this truth that we say we believe in, right? Nothing can separate us. But what I want to challenge us with tonight is I want us to look at the next, to me, most important thing that happens in our life, in our time span, after we've made that decision, is what do we do next? How do we step out from that? I know in my experience, I have never had an experience where the Lord picks me up and moves me and puts me exactly where I'm supposed to be, opens my mouth and makes me speak exactly what I'm supposed to speak and do exactly what I'm supposed to do. I wish it worked like that. It would be so much easier, wouldn't it? And it would be so easy if I could just open up and I can have this checklist. If I did this today and I read that, I said that, I lived like that, then guess what? I'm good. Everything is going to be perfect. Nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. But if you've lived enough life, we know that it doesn't work like that. He never designed it to be checklist Christianity. It was never designed to do this, this, and this, and it will equal the perfect formula to have the perfect life. He wants a real relationship with his sisters, his daughters, his children. He wants a relationship with us, which is intentional. It's intimate. Isn't that just beautiful to think about that right now, our Lord and Savior that died on the cross died to pay a penalty we could never pay, that he allowed the veil to be torn. We don't have to go into the holy of holies to be in his presence. We're in it right now. Because of his righteousness, I'm holy. I am a holy creation. And you can ask my husband, that doesn't always look pretty. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. I still make mistakes. I still sin. But the truth is, it's his righteousness in me that makes me holy. One of the hardest things I've had to learn, but yet the most beautiful thing, is that this isn't about me. It never has been. It never will be. This life, my breath, my body, everything that I do has been about him. Always has been, always will be. But when we get that and when we get okay with that and we accept it and trust him, it is the most amazing relief you know how it says to lean into me and you will find rest. That scripture, that is rest. It doesn't mean that we open our eyes and our circumstances are different. What it means is that we can know that we know that we know that whether we do it right or we mess up that day, that God is in control and that he doesn't waste anything. What I want to share a little bit of our story or my story is that of course, like I just said, I was in the middle of um, a lot of bad decisions in my high school years, and the guy I was dating, um, we fell in love, um, what I thought was love at that time, you know, I was a rescuer, I wanted to fix him, make him better, all those things, and found myself um, about a year out of graduation getting married, 
couple years later, knowing I was in a really horrible marriage that I knew that because of my beliefs in the Lord that I would not walk away from. And with two small children, four and three, he leaves with some, for someone else that was expecting. And I don't say that disgraceful to him because, thank God, through grace and mercy, that friendship has actually been restored, that we have, again, a healthy relationship on that. But what I want you to see is that life can come, and some of it's from our own choosing. You know, I've gone to the Lord many times, and many times when he said, I've already forgiven you for that, why are you coming back? You know, isn't it hardest to forgive ourselves sometimes than it is to forgive someone else that has wronged us? You know, I find so many times we're shopping in someone else's closet. We're sitting here putting on cloaks of shame and guilt. We're, we're putting on cloaks of depression and anxiety and fear that God never put in our closet. He gave us redemption, freedom, life, joy, wholeness, that is who our Savior is. And when we accept Him, we get all of Him. How amazing is that? That even though we're so undeserving, I know I am and I was, but He loved me so much that He sent His Son to die for me. And not only that, then He raised, God raised Him from the dead. And then He didn't even stop there. The penalty was paid. No, 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 no. We know in Acts that then the Holy Spirit comes in us and indwells us. The same power that rolled away the stone is in you. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, He's in us. That power that raised the dead, opened the eyes of the blind, made the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, that power lives in you. I'm going to ask you like I asked my son. One day I said, Grayson, do you believe that every single word in this scripture is the infallible word of God, that there's no mistakes. There's not one word that was not Holy Spirit breathed and penned by man. He said, well, no, ma'am. Like, okay, you've lost your mind, mama. But I'm like, then why don't we live differently? And I want to ask you tonight, why don't we live differently? If everything that we just sang about is truth for our lives, then why are we not walking out in courage, shouting from the rooftops, I have the keys to heaven and hell because my Jesus went down there and took them, and I want to give them to you. I want to walk this journey out with you. I don't want to look at you and judge you. I don't want to see your scars and think, oh, my gosh, I can't believe she did that. No, I, what I hope is that what I've realized is that it's actually our scars that are the most beautiful thing about us. Why would we not think they were whenever even our own Lord and Savior bears the scars of what he did for us? What I want us to do tonight is just take off your mask for a minute. Forget about what's going on at the house. The kids are taken care of. You've got a soft seat, nice climate controlled room. And here we are in the presence of God. And what I want to do is tell you the story that I can tell you with every single detail about every single thing of how it, it affected me because it's my story. And I hope that through my story that you'll see that your story matters. Your story matters. I want you to soak that into your soul right now that the people that the Lord has placed in your path all the days of your life will never be the same with any single soul in this room. 
your sphere of influence, who you come in contact with, who your family is, who you work with, who you hang out with, who you talk to on the phone, who you see at the grocery store, it will never be the same as the person sitting next to you. And God has a mission and a plan for your life, and it's to reveal his glory to the world. And so what I hope tonight is to share a little bit about my story that maybe somewhere sparked something in you. And again, if, if you've already accepted Christ as your Savior, but yet you feel like dead, dry bones sitting there tonight thinking, I want this, but I don't feel this anymore. I once was close to the Lord, but I, I, I don't feel his presence anymore. What I hope is that what comes out of my mouth breathes into your soul and it fans that spark, that ember that's still there. Because the truth is, is if he is your Lord and Savior, you can't put that fire out. He's in there. You may not feel his presence because your circumstances look so bleak or so overwhelming or so devastating and you don't know what tomorrow looks like. But let me tell you, sisters, he's there. He's still faithful and he's still good no matter what. And that's the beautiful story that I want to share with you is that God brought me to the end of myself to realize that he is enough, even if. After my first husband left, I wish that I could tell you that, um, that it was easy. It wasn't. I'm telling you, I was scared to death. I'm in my mid-20s, and I have these two babies, and I really don't know what life holds. But there was something in me that just was rising up. Does that make sense? It's like, I will not bow to this. I will not let this consume me. Even though there's days whenever it's so overwhelming, you just really hope that you can just keep sleeping and not have to wake up and face what's about to happen that day. Little did I know that the Lord and his beautiful sovereignty and his grace that is so mm, overwhelming that he would have this man that would come into my life at 27 years old, had never been married, and had kept himself for marriage. And somehow he saw me, and he fell in love with me. This broken, messy, hurting woman with two children, and he saw me. His name was Arvid Wakefield. And in that process is that he took this girl that you can see again, um, if you want to, Sherry, just leave that picture up for now. I've got my best friend from childhood that's here in the room with me helping me do this because she's lived this story with me. So how much better is that, that the Lord canceled her meeting tonight and she could be here? So in falling in love with him, we looked at it that he had always wanted two children and here he had my two. So our cup was full, life was good. We were loving the Lord, serving at church. And, I, you know, again, that restoration, that restoration, that sweet season of being loved in a way I never knew I could be loved, um, raising the kids and doing life. And, and all of a sudden, we'd been married for about four and a half years, and then all of a sudden, the Lord said, uh, I'm not done yet. You may be done, but he gave us Grayson that I was speaking of um, just a little bit ago. Jordan and um, my older two, Hunter and Jordan, were nine and seven when Grayson came into our world. And I'm going to tell you from the very beginning, he was straight up sunshine. Um, again, that's one of those pieces. I want you to watch for strands in our life. 
I want you to think about in your life how God weaves pieces together. We got to do in life, and again, ball practice, dance, all the stuff that most of you have either done or are in the middle of or about to do. And all of a sudden, we found ourselves not focusing on each other like we once did. We weren't being intentional with our time with the Lord. We weren't spending time in prayer. We were busy. Life was crazy. And all of a sudden, I found myself in a season where I was unhappy. He didn't please me. He didn't make me feel wanted and desired. It was selfish, and it wasn't pretty. And all of a sudden, one night, here we are with teenagers, and my daughter that's on the screen here was walking through her storm. And I find myself standing in our bedroom, and I said, I love you, but I am not in love with you anymore. When I think back, and I never, ever have forgotten what I know that he had to have felt in that moment. This man that had loved me unconditionally whenever, again, loved me the way I feel like God loves me, that he saw something in me that I didn't even know existed at that time. And here I am standing in that bedroom because, again, I wasn't happy. I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel wanted. I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel appreciated. I, 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 I. I don't know if you've ever been there before. I don't know if you're there right now, but if you are, let me tell you something. God never meant this to be about us. And the most amazing, beautiful thing is, is that when we take the attention off ourselves and we put it on others and on him, all of a sudden we feel satisfied. How crazy is that? That God works in ways that don't make sense to us, right? That I may die so that I can truly live, right? Because it's Christ that lives in us. So it's denying ourselves. Man, that thing's hard. I always say, I really wish that at the moment that we get saved and we accept Christ as our Savior, I wish we had this license or this test we had to pass to get surrender. You know, we own that thing. So every day I'm going to wake up and surrender. Look, I own it. I passed the test. I got this thing. I know what it looks like, and I do it over and over again. It just becomes a natural response, right? Has anybody else perfected that thing? Because I need to see you if you have. Because I have not. So here I am standing in the bedroom. I know that, again, that I have literally, I feel like I've ripped out his emotional heart. And something in me in the days past that, I thought, I can't do this. I cannot be my daddy. I cannot do this to my children. I know what it feels like from a child's perspective. And as the wife that had already been walked out on, I thought, I cannot do this. And something in me, again, I think his name is the Holy Spirit, <laughs> began just to speak to me. No, you're not doing this. You're not doing this. And the Lord and his sovereignty, we already had this beach trip planned because Grayson was playing ball. And a friend at work had given me this book by Karen Kingsbury. I don't know if any of y'all have read any of her books, but she is a fiction Christian author. And what I want you to get right here is that God will use anything, anything. If he'll use a donkey and a rock, he can use a fiction book, right? There you go. Here I am at this beach, and I'm just really in that inner struggle, knowing what's right, but knowing I don't feel it, knowing what I'm supposed to do, but knowing what I don't want to do. I don't want to face this. I don't want to do the hard work. I don't want to have to put down my pride and admit what I've done wrong. And it was as I read this book that all of a sudden, Karen Kingsbury, this fiction author, is painting a story to me of what love looks like. It was the first time that for some reason it had really, I guess, just 
permeated into my soul that love is a choice, simple but powerful, that it is not an emotion, it is not this thing that we arrive at because they made us feel like this and because they did this and they put the toilet seat lit down and they put the laundry in the basket and they went to the grocery store because we were in the middle of that, you know, meal that we're cooking and we realized we're out of paprika. I mean, it's not, that's not love. Those are acts of love. That can be the verb lived out. But the truth is the truest definition of love describes it as a choice. Jesus Christ, the Lord, my Lord and Savior loved me when I was still a sinner. He chose to love me, period. It would be in that choosing to love him, even when I didn't feel it, that God started doing supernatural things in our life and in our marriage. There is never a time that we don't choose him, spend time with him, that he doesn't radically do something in here. It is impossible to spend time with our Lord and Savior and not be changed. It's impossible. If you're intentional and you're in the word and in prayer, in worship, whatever that looks like, and you are begging and seeking, guess what? He is still moving. He is still redeeming. He is still restoring. God is real, and he always will be. He never fails. When I think back that if I had walked out and went and chose selfishly to go make myself happy and find a different life and walk out on him, I wouldn't be standing here tonight. What I want you to hear is that the choices that we make today have the potential, a very good potential to impact the rest of our lives and have a ripple effect that don't just stop in our bubble. They have a ripple effect that touch everyone's lives around us. Generation to generation to generation. What we do and what we say matters. That's why he gave us this. This is our God book. If it doesn't align with scripture, I say run, run. There is nothing that you're thinking that doesn't line up with this that will ever satisfy your soul. There's nothing that you're going to go find that's going to make you happy when that didn't. If he's not at the center, he is joy. He is peace. He is everything we need. I did not know that a year and a half after that moment in our bedroom, and I chose, we chose to fight for our marriage and in the restoration of that marriage, that we were about to face the most difficult battle I had ever known. One summer, he couldn't get up on skis, and he was always very athletic, and we were out on the boat with my dad, and he couldn't get up on the skis. He couldn't get up on the kneeboard and just kind of blew it off. I thought it was too much weight on the boat. A little bit later, he fell at work. A little bit later, he fell down our stairs, and something just wasn't right. We started a journey of a year and a half of trying to find answers. Doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment, neurologist appointment after neurologist appointment. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves leaving here in Birmingham, an office, and he looked at me, and he said, do you know what my worst nightmare is, what my worst fear is? And I said, no, what? He said that they're going to find nothing wrong with me, and people are going to think I'm crazy. I knew at that moment that the Lord spoke to me that I was to be his advocate 
I was to fight and help him find answers. And I started praying and searching. And the Lord kept bringing Mayo Clinic to my mind. Made the most sense. We went to Jacksonville, Florida because we had a niece there. It was just somewhere that we could have. And again, God, 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 you know, sovereignty. So I call Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. I fill out this survey that they ask anyone that calls to see if they qualify for an appointment if it's not a doctor's referral. And within a couple of weeks, I had a phone call back, and they had all these appointments lined up for us for May of 2010. We walk. Actually, let me tell you, on the way there, <laughs> again, um, I realize sometimes when you can look back on a story, you know, I'm on a side of my story that I can share a lot of pieces with you that you might be in the middle of. But what I love is that when I look back, I know that the time that it took to get the answers that we were looking for was, again, the Lord refining me. It was testing out, what do I really believe? I'd said, Lord, I trust you. And over and over again, he's going, no, do you really trust me? You say you do, but do you trust me? No matter what tomorrow holds, do you trust me? So here we are in the car going to Jacksonville, Florida. And we said, Lord, this was our prayer. Lord, it doesn't matter what's going on in his body because you already know. So God, what we're asking you to do is this week, please reveal it to us just so we'll know what's going on, that people won't think he's crazy, God. We know you're the healer. No matter what it is, just show us. Because no matter what it is, we will give you the glory and the honor and live out all the days of our life for you and only you. The very next day, we're sitting in the neurologist's office. And with 15 minutes, I knew our Goliath had walked into that room. It came in the form of three letters, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And what I want to read to you tonight is for those that I think most in the room because of the awareness of ALS that's out there, but just in case you don't, is what I want you to know is what ALS is. It is when our brain stops communicating with the nerve cells that tell our muscles, our voluntary muscles, what to do. So when our brain, what we know we're needing to do and wanting to do, doesn't communicate with any voluntary muscle in your body, it becomes atrophic. It withers away and it stops being used. It can't be used. It dies. So that is anything that you're allowed to raise your hands, move your feet, move around, swallow, breathe, all of it. And we knew there is no cure. It's 100% fatal. We had a choice. We had a choice to go home knowing that what we had promised God on the way there, he had honored what we had asked. Now, what were we going to do with this? I'm going to tell you, it was the most difficult, horrific, painful journey of my life that became the most beautiful, gut-wrenching, stripping, refining season of my life. It tested what I really believe, and it showed me what the faith that that man on that screen had that his Jesus that he had loved his whole life when all of a sudden chose him a good man, a man that had kept himself pure and clean, was diagnosed with something that had no treatment and no cure. And I'm sitting there going, God, here's my resume. Why him? Why not me? Look, look at what I've done. Look at how I failed you. Why would it be him? But you know what he said? He said, why not me? Why not me? Why not use everything we have? Because that's what we're called to. Every breath, every ability that he gives us 
is his, right? We're supposed to, with every breath, we sing these lyrics all the time, we're supposed to praise him. With everything we say, everything we do, we're to honor God. But man, I'm telling you, ALS will teach you something that I did not know. And that's to sit there and search scripture and realize that, guess what? Every single word, we said it a million times, but all of a sudden it means something. When you know you're not going to hear I love you anymore come out of that mouth. All of a sudden you realize that this has the power to speak life or death. All of a sudden you start choosing your words in a way you never would have chosen them before because they matter. Whenever you start tearing down your sister and you start gossiping about them, guess what? That's death. When you look at them and say, guess what? God created you for a purpose. You are here. Rise up and do everything God called you to. That speaks life because it's absolute truth from Scripture. That's the difference. That's the things. Those are the things we take for granted, right? Because we are human. I get it. Still am. But the truth is, is that all of a sudden you get this girl that's straight up Baptist. (laughs) That all of a sudden you realize that he's not going to be able to raise his hand in prayer anymore. And he wants me to raise his hands up when we're in church because he wants to praise the Lord till the Lord is right before him and his faith is his sight. He wants to give everything spilled out, poured out, all of his worship. All of a sudden, you don't care what's going on to the left or to the right of you. You're looking straight into the face of Jesus and you're wanting to give him everything because you're seeing what it looks like to live that out. It changes you. I still sometimes cannot believe that the Lord, as crazy as this may sound, unless you've been through a storm and have experienced the grace and mercy of God like I have, probably doesn't make sense. But I can't believe that he's allowed me to know him in a way I never would have had Arvid lived to be 100 years old and had been as healthy as a horse. Because the beauty is what you see on the screen is pictures of us, but I hope it paints to you a story that I don't have time to tell you all of it, is that this is only a couple of weeks before he went to be with the Lord. And there we are renewing our vows. We wanted to make sure that we both knew that we were so thankful that the Lord had given us and that we had fought, that when we had this opportunity before us to choose to walk away or to stay, we chose covenant marriage. We chose covenant love that it did not have a thing to do with how we felt and what the other person was doing and performing. It had everything to do with our Savior knowing that he can restore, redeem, and that he is love that can pour into us and have a love that is that sweet, that allowed me to bathe him, to change him, to feed him, to roll him over when he couldn't roll over in bed and take care of him until he did not have a breath to give anymore. It's kind of crazy you walk through this and you know what's coming But all of a sudden, you're on this journey that you think, wow, this is is real. (laughs) We've been living with ALS for three and a half years, and he developed um, some allergy symptoms that we are all battling with in April of 2014. And overnight, his took a turn from just, again, some raspy coughing and treatment to he was septic. He was, lungs were filled three-fourths of the way with infection and he went into respiratory arrest in our bedroom on that Friday morning after we'd bathed him and gotten him dressed. And there I was knowing that I'd promised him that I would not resuscitate if it was not quality of life. And I am begging God, no, not now. Do not do this. I'm not ready. It's not supposed to be now. 
And here I am wanting God to breathe back in him what God was ready to heal. You know, he's the healer. You know, here I was wanting him to stay in this body that couldn't move and he couldn't speak. And God's ready to heal him, and I'm still begging. You know, it's our humanness, and I'm so thankful the Lord gets it. You know, I think that's so true of even our walk, not even in this scenario, that sometimes we're begging God for this and we're wanting this, but God wants us to put a DNR on it. That once we've died to self and we've let go and we've walked away from that, whatever that thing is that wants to entangle us, he wants to tell you, do not resuscitate that. I'm life. I'm breath. I am the healer. I am the only cure for whatever that is. Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't matter if it's cancer. It doesn't matter if it's depression. It doesn't matter if you're unsatisfied with your marriage. It doesn't matter if you have a prodigal child. It doesn't matter if you walk into the doctor's office tomorrow and you hear those letters that I did. He's enough. He's enough. Always has been, and I'm so thankful that he still is today. One of the things that the Lord has given me that just echoes in my soul is that when you think about the brain stopping the communication to the muscles, that you lose the ability for any voluntary movement. When we stop feeding our mind with truth of the word, it affects our voluntary movement, right? It's that thing that we talked about that the Lord doesn't pick us up and move us, right? Where we need to be, where we're supposed to go. That's called free will. That is that moment that I can wake up every day and surrender my life to him. That when he tells me to speak, that I say what he's saying, even though it might sound a little crazy to you. It may be that thing that I know that I'm supposed to go and help that widow. It may be that thing that I'm supposed to go and serve at the hospital. It may be that class that I've known that he's been telling me to teach, but I'm thinking, God, you know who I am? They'll think I'm crazy if I go teach that class. Let me tell you, he used Rahab the harlot. He used Dawn Henson Mason. He will use you. You know why? Because he designed you to be used by him. Look at that. It's not, I've said so many times that if he can use me, he can use you. The truth is, is that he told me that's me looking at myself still less than. The truth is, is that he wants, desires, and will use us. He's just waiting on us. He's waiting on our voluntary movement. He's waiting on our surrender. Isn't that crazy to think that's voluntary movement? That when you're sitting at church and Brother Tim seems like he's speaking right to you, that word that is coming out of his mouth, you're thinking, God had to have given it to him for me. But yet we don't move. We don't go to the altar because what if people think we're all jacked up, messed up, we're broken? (laughs) Isn't that the truth, though? Is our pride. You know what that is? That's the enemy going, don't do it. Don't let go. You know what they'll think. You know what? If you let them see you like you, they're not going to love you. She's not going to be your friend anymore. They're going to ask you to step down, and you're not even going to be able to teach that class anymore. He is the author of lies. And he is truth, absolute truth. He designed you for a purpose and a plan. But the truth is now you have to decide, do I believe it? He's asking you, do you trust me? How many people say, yeah, I trust you? I mean, really, say it out loud. Do you trust him? I think tonight he wants to ask you like he asked me so many times is no. Do you really trust me? 
what I love is this definition that they have up on the screen of voluntary movement. And I thought, man, this sums it up right here. Is the act or an instance of moving, a change in place or position done in accordance with the conscious will of the individual, the expression of thought through action. When you think about that with your life and your relationship with the Lord, is that when he speaks, is then what's our response? What is our voluntary movement? What I love to think about is that, do you know what voluntary movement is? Start thinking about your list. It's surrender. It's speaking out prayer, speaking out life. Sometimes for me, it's being still because I'm a woman. I'm a mama and I want to run and I want to go fix things and I want to be your Holy Spirit and tell you what you need to do. And I want, I want to do all these things that I was never designed or created to do. It was a weight I was never meant to bear. That's my Lord's job. And so sometimes just being still and letting him be God, I have found that when I let go of that pen and I start stop trying to write out how I want my story to look, when I stop trying to sit there and go, okay, if I do this and I say this, then all this may work out just like this. And I just stop and I trust him. That is one of the most difficult voluntary movements I know for myself. The beautiful thing that I can do is when I look back on my journey after Arvid died is that I thought, you know, I poured myself into the mission field. I'd never been on the mission field. I'd always given but not gone. And all of a sudden I'm telling you, God stirred up some stuff in this girl's body and in this mind and in my soul. And all of a sudden I thought, I'm going. I am going. A team was going to Swaziland, South Africa, and that's Cine in her go-go. That's her grandmother. And i telling you, when I stepped on that soil, God started healing me. It was because I moved in obedience of what he had told me to do even when it didn't make sense. When in the moment that my grief was so deep that I didn't even know if I could breathe, that all of a sudden he would breathe for me. When I didn't even think I could put my feet on the floor the next day, somehow he picked me up and he helped me to move. It was in that obedience that the Lord started healing. And I went on the mission field and all of a sudden I'm in my living room leading small groups with so many beautiful souls that are my warrior sisters now. When I took my mask off and I got real and vulnerable, guess what? They took theirs off too. And we have relationships. I'm telling you, if I called them right now and said, I need you. They're my ride and die girls and they love some Jesus. So guess what? It's beautiful. It is that thing that the Lord started doing in me, the desire to teach, the desire to speak, the desire to say, guess what? God's real and he's good. You need to know my Jesus. If you don't trust him, if you don't know him, come to him. He's real. And I would go to the mountaintops if somebody would let me. I'd go to the rooftop. I'd go to someone's worship center in Chelsea, Alabama, because I want you to know he's real. He's real. And he is enough and he's going to heal you. And he will redeem you. He will restore you. But he needs you to move. He needs you to say, I can't do this on my own. I need a savior. I want to live out my life for you. And that, in that is when you get filled up, is when you let go. Again, the Lord works in the most mysterious ways. Why do we ever think we can figure him out? Why do we think when we can put him in this box and make sense of him that he goes, oh, no, no, no. Let me show you. You think you're healed? Let me show you about some grandbabies. All of a sudden, I'm probably one of the only white go-go's in the whole world. 
But after going to Swaziland, that was the name I asked my daughter-in-law and son if I could call myself. And so there are just a couple of my absolute beautiful, tangible grace, unmerited favor that the Lord placed in my life. Undeserving, but he loved me so much that he said, no, here, I want to heal you. I want to restore you. I want you to breathe them in, and I want you to know that I'm going to take your ashes, and I'm going to give you beauty. I'm going to take your mourning, and I'm going to give you my joy, joy that never fails, joy that never ends. Just choose me. So in the stepping and in the teaching, I had told um, all the girls, I'm never going to date again. Lord, look at my story. It's kind of messy, you know. How would I ever do that? I'm not. I'm good. Why would I ever take a chance on dating or remarrying when I have been loved greater than anything I deserve and fell in love with him in those last few years in a way I never knew before? And the Lord said, girl, did you take that pen back out of my hand again? And in the summer of 2017, I can remember sitting in church and it was really a weird God orchestrated thing, right? <laughs> it's that thing Michael preached on. There's no such thing as a coincidence, right? It's a divine coincidence orchestrated by God. And here I was in a large church that I attended, served regularly, and somehow that day I ended up on a row and nobody sat with me. Nobody. I was by myself. And let me tell you, I wish I could tell you, even after all that stuff, I didn't still have pity parties. But um, that day I felt really alone. Why? Why am I sitting here all alone? I don't know. I don't, I don't want to do this. And of course, the pastor opens his mouth and starts saying, do you ever feel like you're all alone? <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Why do you keep doing this to me? And I'm like, okay, God, I get it. I've taken the pen back out of your hand. I trust you. I trust you with whatever you want to do, whatever my future looks like. I believe in you. I trust you no matter what, no matter if I'm alone for the rest of my life and I wake up and nobody's ever there. I'm okay with that. And in the middle of that season begins fall and here we are at these football games with my gorgeous little fireball Grayson that's just pure again joy and peace and love that the God knew I needed before I ever knew why I needed him so much. And would you believe that right down the bleachers was this man named Michael Mason that was there because his son-in-law just happened to be coaching that football team, right? God's so good, y'all. Don't stop looking for him. What I realize is that sometimes the miracle comes like that. But sometimes the miracle comes in pieces. Sometimes the healing doesn't come to the disease like you want it to not this side of heaven. Sometimes it's in our shattered, broken pieces that he starts picking them up when we lay them at his feet and he starts putting them into his plan, into his mosaic that reveals his glory in a way that we never could if he gave us the pen and let us write out our script. His story is always more beautiful. His way is always the best way even when our circumstances don't change. If we lay that at his feet, all of a sudden he gives you love in a way you didn't know. How is that possible that you can still fully grieve the loss of your husband and yet God show you a love you never knew before 
from a man that had walked through his own storm, who had stood in a bedroom when the woman he had been married to for over 25 years said, I love you, but I don't love you anymore. But she chose something different than I did. You can beg and you can plead for six years and you can't make somebody stay. But somehow when you don't even want to put your feet on the floor, you keep choosing God just knowing that you told me you're good. I know you called me to ministry and until you close every door, I'm going to still preach anywhere you open the door. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to share the truth that is more real to me than it ever has been in all the years of his ministry. All of a sudden when that is the only thing that's real to you, you hold on tooth and nail. You dig your heels in, as Michael Mason says, and you believe it even when you don't see it. You believe it even when you don't feel it. You wake up and you choose God again. You choose God again. You do the next right thing and you do the next right thing and you do the next right thing. And then all of a sudden, even when that story doesn't end like you knew it would, you knew she would come back. You knew the marriage would be restored. But that's not how God wrote the story. All of a sudden, he starts picking up those shattered pieces that fall to the, the bottom of the floor in the crevice of the tile that are so shattered and slivered that you know you could never have a bottle of super glue that would put that vase back together again. That was our life. That's how it felt. That's how it would look to the world. But all of a sudden, he ushers in joy and happiness and restoration. And he does take our grief and he gives us his goodness and tangible evidence that is the Lord. That's Michael Mason. My tangible grace happens to have blue eyes and can preach like nobody's business. If you had told me that this was going to be my life, that this was going to be my story 30 years ago, I think I would have ran for the hills. I'd have been so scared. I would have known who I was then and told you there's no way. There's no way that God would have me love that man. And be loved by that man. But God, but God in his goodness, God in his graciousness, he looks at us and he tells us that, <clears throat> I'm so sorry, y'all, I got myself all off track here, that he tells us that Colossians 1, 21 through 23, and y'all forgive me, I love words as I've already confessed and I've fallen in love with, when I'm digging in Scripture, the Passion Translation. It just speaks. It's very poetic. So if y'all don't mind, I'm going to go out of the traditional and just speak these words because they mean so much to me. Is that even though you were once distance, distant from Him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, He reconnected you back to Himself. He released His supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of His own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. If indeed you continue to advance in faith, assured of a firm foundation to grow upon, never be shaken from the hope of the gospel you believed in. And this is the glorious news that I will preach all over the world when given the opportunity. It is real. Jesus saves, and he doesn't just stop there. This isn't about fire insurance, girls. This isn't about just spending eternity with him in heaven, which is still beyond anything any of us deserve. 
It's being a life fully used by the sovereign Lord of the universe. It is about being used as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to do something to bring as many women with us as we can. I'm going to tell you, I'll drag you in with me if I can. Because let me tell you, there is not a sweeter place to live than in the middle, in the presence of his will and his presence. I'm going to challenge you tonight is that I want to ask you again, is what is your response to him? When he speaks to you, if he has spoken to you tonight, is that we have a choice to make, is we can hear all the truth in the world. We can listen to every sermon that's ever been preached. We can listen to every worship song 24 hours a day, but unless we let it soak into our soul and let him change us and that we believe that it is truth for us and not move in obedience out of that faith, then guess what? We're living in less than. And he wants more for us. He wants more for his children. And what I want to ask you tonight is that we close in prayer. I want to pray this prayer over you if I can. And it's found in Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. Hey, Rita, can you do me a favor? Is my phone right there? Or did I bring it up here? No, I got it. I'm sorry. These old eyes don't see like they used to. So... If you have your Bible with you, you're welcome to turn there. But if not, I want you just to close your eyes for a minute if you don't have your your Bible there. And I want you to hear this. And I'm going to pray this over you. This is Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. But I want you to hear this. This is my prayer before I ever came here for you. And I want to speak it out loud over you tonight. It's for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people... I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And girls were in it. All God and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God, I just ask tonight, Lord, that these women, Lord, that have heard just pieces of my story, God, did not see me, but saw you through the words spoken, Lord. God, that you spoke to their very need through the words that were spoken, God. I pray that as the praise and worship team comes and just plays tonight, that right now, sitting in every seat, God, that these women will stop. They'll take off that mask and they'll just come to you vulnerable, God. Saying out loud what you already know, God, admitting their need for you. 
God, where they're broken, where they're hurting, where they're empty, God, where they feel hopeless, God, where they're being consumed by the lies of the enemy that they feel, God, just smothered in depression and anxiety, God, that they feel like there's no hope, that there's no cure for what they've done, where they walk, God, what their life looks like right now, God. And I pray that right now that they'll scoop up every broken, shattered piece of themselves, God, and that in the moments that we begin to sing in just a minute, that they'll believe the lyrics that we sing and that they'll move, God, that in that voluntary movement that they will come forward, God, to this altar. Not that there's a magic thing that happens here, God, but that, Lord, sometimes just when you move us out of our seat and we step outside of our comfort zone and we just step in your direction, God, Lord, you meet us right there. God, I pray that in their obedience to what you're speaking, God, that when they move, God, that they feel you in a way that they have not felt you before or they have not felt you in so, so long. God, I pray that you will restore, that you will redeem, that you'll take their pieces as they lay them at your feet, God, even if it's just symbolically, Lord, that when they do that, that they will feel a weight lifted. God, that they'll take that coat of shame and that coat of guilt and that coat of anxiety and depression, Lord, and they leave it there. God, and they pick up that coat of righteousness. God, that coat of glory, of holiness, Lord, that you have given to us freely through grace and mercy, God. I pray that they rise up, God, and that you're the lifter of their head, Lord, and that when they leave this place, they will know that you have done something in them that is supernatural and bigger than they are. God, I pray that they don't stop there. Lord, I pray that today is a day that they draw a line of sand, that they will not go back to an old way of thinking, to an old way of doing things, God, that they will chase after you no matter what lies ahead, God, that with arms wide open, hands raised, that they'll let go of the pen and they'll let you write their story, God, because they know and they believe. And now that they surrender to you to allow you to write their story in the most beautiful way, God, or take our pieces, put them into your mosaic, God, and allow us to be a part of your story, just as Leah and Hannah and Mary and Martha and all of those that we read about in scripture, God, we trust you. We believe you, God, and we give you it all. In Jesus 